welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Over the coming weeks, we hope to explore some of the many reported cases of reincarnation. Reincarnation is a concept that has been met with some degree of scepticism over the years, but as our societies have progressed, the level of documentation has increased and it's becoming easier to find information about the lives that have gone before us. My hope is that we will start to find more and more provable cases in the coming years and give reincarnation a more mainstream appeal so that we can begin to bring the discussion out into the light and explore the possibility of what happens to our souls after death. The case we'll discuss today is unusual in that it involves the case of a boy who claims that in his last life he was the famous American baseball player of the 20s, Lou Gehrig. Contrary to the belief of many critics of reincarnation, claims of being the reincarnated soul of a famous person are not the norm, so when they do occur, they often create quite a splash of media attention. They also offer a unique opportunity to test the validity of the claim, as there is often a lot of information about the famous past life. The downside of that, of course, is that there's also an equally high opportunity for the person claiming to be reincarnated to find a lot of information about the person that could be then used to bolster their claim. It does also, however, give me the opportunity to give you a clear overview into the life of Luke Gehrig, to provide real insights into who he was as a man, what his life and career was like, and to help you place Christian's claims in context with the facts that we know about Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. This story begins in 1923 in New York City. It was an interesting time in America's history. The world was climbing back to its feet after the Great War and America was left with a feeling of disillusionment and doubt about the values and beliefs of Western society. People were ready to question the rules and in the midst of an economic and technological boom that led to an increase in the housing market, and a period of great prosperity for the country, an underbelly of crime, corruption, murder and death flowed through the cities as gangsters fought violently for and died for control of their territories in some of the major cities in America. The black market in alcohol flourished under prohibition, creating underground speakeasies and a general air of secret rebellion. In 1921, the secret society of the Ku Klux Klan was formed and they terrorised Catholics, Jews and black people throughout the South. Soldiers were returning from the First World War and after their time in Europe, they were keen to experience some of the finer things of life and get back to their jobs and lives. Radios became a fixture in modern homes and listening to the radio became a family experience. Everyone would gather around the radio to listen to the news, comedy shows and music. I suppose you could say radio was the first evolutionary step of the podcast. Baseball came into its own in the 20s and captured the hearts and minds of Americans all over the land. Radio meant that games could be broadcast as they were being played and it made it easier for fans to keep up with their favourite teams. Baseball became big news and the best players became heroes to the nation. As Douglas Eldon wrote in 1927, The Diary of Miles Thomas, the Great War may have shaken man's faith in God, but no Yankee will ever lose his faith in Ruth. Baseball was the panacea America needed as they watched the great Babe Ruth help the Red Sox win three World Series and then smash out another three with the New York Yankees. 
Babe Ruth was the living example of everything that was right and wrong in America, with his powerful, almost godlike persona on the field and his wild and willful behaviour, his gambling, drinking, recklessness and womanising off the field, which is believed ultimately to have cost him his chance to manage a major league team after he retired. He was larger than life, brash, undisciplined except when playing ball, arrogant and cocky, and yet he could also be kind, often visiting orphanages, schools and hospitals throughout his life and avoiding publicity for it. He was a complex and interesting man, and he fitted the hero accolade perfectly for an America that seemed to be almost desperately celebrating its freedom from hardship and war. But unbeknownst to the babe, another man was about to emerge onto the hallowed field of Yankee Stadium, a man who was the complete opposite of the babe in almost every way except for his ability to play baseball. He would reach a status almost as legendary as Babe Ruth, although he remained in Ruth's shadow for his entire career. In 1923, Lou Gehrig, a shy, modest, insecure, humble man with an ethical commitment and integrity to his team and to other players in the game, was putting his pen to paper and signing up to join the Yankees. It was the beginning of a career that would span 17 seasons and end too abruptly when his health failed him. Nicknamed the Iron Horse, Gehrig nipped at the heels of Ruth with his abilities. Scoring in baseball is highly technical and please forgive me if I mess this up as I'm an Australian and baseball is played much less commonly here. Basically though, Lou Gehrig played 14 complete seasons and had 13 consecutive seasons with 100 or more runs batted in. For those not into baseball, this means that Gehrig made plays that allowed other players to score. Gehrig had six seasons where he batted 350 or better and he had a career 340 batting average. To give you a guideline of how impressive that is, a 300 average is considered to be excellent and a 400 average considered to be almost unachievable. So at 340, Gehrig was exceptional as a batter. He had a 632 slugging average, which for all you Aussies out there, is a measure of how productive he is when he's batting. Lou Gehrig was the third highest slugging average ever, coming in only under Babe Ruth and Ted Williams. He made 463 home runs in his career and Lou Gehrig's number was number four and he was the first MLB player to have his number retired by a team so that it would remain permanently his. In 1939, he was elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. In 1969, the Baseball Writers Association voted Gehrig the greatest first baseman of all time. A monument in Gehrig's honour currently resides in Monument Park at Yankee Stadium. The Lou Gehrig Memorial Award is given annually to the MLB player that best exhibits Gehrig's integrity and character. He won two MVP awards, six World Series titles and a Triple Crown. He played his entire professional career, which consisted of 17 seasons from 1923 to 1939, with the New York Yankees. He was a freakish player and an exceptional man who drew admiration from his fans and remains one of baseball's heroes today. Lou Gehrig's medical condition began in the middle of the 1938 season. He started noticing and reporting physical changes he was feeling in his body. He said, I was tired mid-season. I don't know why, but I just couldn't get going again. 
It was clear by the beginning of the 1939 season that Gehrig had lost his incredible strength and stamina. He collapsed once while training and his speed and coordination were noticeably down. Lou Gehrig's illustrious baseball career was coming to an end too early and the writing was on the wall. His performance was significantly down but manager Joe McCarthy was unwilling to remove him from the team and allowed him to play on against the wishes of the Yankees management. Lou Gehrig himself finally withdrew, benching himself for the good of the team on May the 2nd, 1939. The fans of the opposing team, the Detroit Tigers, gave him a standing ovation as he sat on the bench with tears in his eyes. He never played another game of Major League Baseball again. On the 19th of June 1939, on his 36th birthday, Lou Gehrig was diagnosed with ALS or amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. The name of this disease would later be changed to Lou Gehrig's disease. This was a grim prognosis, and Gehrig was told to expect rapidly increasing paralysis, difficulty in swallowing and speaking, and a life expectancy of less than three years. ALS is a very cruel disease, as although it's non-contagious and it isn't painful, the patient's mental function remains the same while the motor function of the central nervous system deteriorates, leaving the patient more and more vulnerable and dependent as their body deteriorates and death approaches. At 10.10pm 10 on June 2nd, 1941, Lou Gehrig died at his home at 5204 Delafield Avenue in the Riverdale section of the Bronx, New York. Lou Gehrig was 38 years old when he died, two years after his diagnosis was made, Babe Ruth would live another seven years after Gehrig's death. He was diagnosed with nasopharyngeal cancer and passed away from the disease in 1948. Baseball seems to have its own mysticism, and to its fans there is a reverent, almost sacred quality to its history. Therefore, it's not surprising that Christian Haupt's claim that he is the reincarnation of Lou Gehrig has generated quite a bit of media attention. Some of the official sports pages are sceptical and some are circumspect, as if they're unsure what to make of the claims and are withholding judgment until they see how Christian matures. But some are hopeful, and there is a wistful quality to their writing, as they consider the thought that a player with the spirit of Gehrig may one day play ball. So is it true? Is Christian really the reincarnation of one of the greatest ball players in history? Kathy was quite surprised when at the age of one, Christian saw some boys playing baseball in the neighbourhood and became completely enthralled. He started wearing baseball uniforms every day and he would play inside the house throwing balls against the wall. In a later interview, given when Christian was eight, he stated that the first time he started playing baseball, it just felt really natural to him. As a toddler, he spent countless hours playing baseball and played morning, noon and night. His parents were amazed at his skill and posted a YouTube video of him playing. At three years old, he was able to throw and catch a ball like an eight-year-old. Adam Sandler, on seeing the YouTube video, contacted the family and offered Christian a cameo role in his upcoming movie, That's My Boy. During the filming of the movie, while Christian and his mother were at Boston Stadium, Christian saw a large picture of Babe Ruth. Instantly he became upset and started swinging the little bat he was holding around saying, I don't like him, he was mean to me. 
Kathy thought it was strange at the time, but she still hadn't made the connection between Christian's comments and reincarnation. When he was three years old, Christian told his mother that he was once a tall baseball player. Kathy didn't realise initially what he was saying and she assumed he was talking about the future. One day she corrected him and said, yes, you will be a tall baseball player one day. He became quite frustrated and said, no, I was a tall baseball player, tall like daddy. Kathy realised what he was trying to tell her and asked, do you mean you were a grown-up? Christian answered confidently, yes. On another occasion, again when Christian was three, he was in a lift with his mother and he said to her, Mummy, this elevator looks like a hotel. Kathy answered, Yeah, it kind of does. Christian answered, When I was a tall baseball player, I used to stay in hotels almost every night. Humouring him, his mother asked, Did you fly on airplanes? Christian replied, No, mostly trains. And that is a really interesting comment for Christian to make. In the 20s, the easiest way to move players around to different fields was by train. A huge part of being a baseball player in any of the leagues was extensive travel on trains. Train travel at the time was expensive and the men running the leagues were not rich men. Most of the baseball clubs at the time were runners' family operations and to try and make as much money as possible from a season, the game calendar was jammed with games meaning players often got off the train, played the game, and then got straight back on the train to travel to the next game. This has been referenced in movies about baseball. For example, a league of their own shows the girls travelling around the country by train. It is something that can be found on film. But would a three-year-old boy be aware of that fact? Given most three-year-olds are watching shows of the calibre of Paw Patrol and Shaun the Sheep, I find it really unlikely that a three-year-old boy would have encountered this fact. Christian's statements about being a baseball player that knew Babe Ruth solidified the feeling for Kathy that something more than play or imagination was at work here. She decided to research the knowledge her son had given her a little more and she began looking up and reading about baseball and baseballers from Babe Ruth's era. She started researching the 20s and 30s and was surprised to find that a lot of the facts that Christian was relating to her were verifiable as true. In researching reincarnation, Kathy came across Carol Bowman's book called Children's Past Life Memories. Carol had been documenting cases of children between the ages of two and six who had claimed to live before. Kathy recognised the same behaviour and characteristics that her son had been displaying. Kathy contacted Carol and the woman was very helpful to her, suggesting that she show Christian pictures of Babe Ruth's team and see what he had to say. She showed her son a picture of the 1927 New York Yankees, a team that some people consider to be the greatest team ever. She said to her son, Do you see anyone in this picture that doesn't like Babe Ruth? Her son pointed to a tall, dimpled, smiling player and said, That's me. The player's name was Lou Gehrig. Kathy was disturbed and a little frightened when Christian could identify himself in a photo and she found it scary to be able to look at the face of the man her son claimed to be. However, she was far too invested now to let the mystery go and so she persevered. When Christian saw a photo of Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth together, Christian commented that they didn't talk to each other. 
His mother asked him how he knew this and he just shrugged and said, I just know. Again, this is a really interesting comment for Christian to make. Christian is indeed right. The two men were very different people. Gehrig was always overshadowed by Babe Ruth throughout his career and although he originally worshipped the Babe, like most baseball fans, the quiet, polite, loyal Gehrig grew to dislike Ruth's brashness and self-promoting behaviour. There is another telling reason why the friendship may have been difficult. In his book, Gehrig and the Babe, author Tony Castro writes that Gehrig's wife, Eleanor, might have been another source of the friction between the two men. He writes, Eleanor developed a party girl lifestyle and then, quoted from Lee Montville's 2006 Ruth bio, The Big Bam, before she'd known Gehrig, she'd known the babe. To have known the babe at that time, well, was to have known the babe. He didn't suffer too many platonic relationships with women. Events were brought to a head, however, during an incident that occurred between Babe Ruth's wife and Lou Gehrig's mother, Christina Gehrig. Ruth had married twice, and his daughter from his first marriage lived with Babe Ruth and his second wife, Claire, and their daughter, Julia. Christina Gehrig claimed that Claire set her own child up to the game in silks and satins while giving Ruth's own daughter nothing but rags to wear. Claire Ruth took offence at this comment and went to Babe Ruth in tears, telling Ruth, you should tell Lou to muzzle his mother. Ruth also took offence at the remark and confronted Gehrig in the Yankee clubhouse, yelling at Gehrig, your mother needs to mind her own goddamn business. Both men almost came to blows about it and had to be separated by other players. The relationship between them was icy from that point on for many years, with hostilities only easing at Gehrig's final and famous Yankee Stadium speech as he retired from baseball permanently. He declared himself to be the luckiest man on the face of the earth, to have been able to live his dream and play ball, and as he stepped down from the podium, he looked behind him at Ruth. Ruth came up and gave him a bear hug, thereby easing the hostilities between them. Although, from the literature that I've researched, it appears that there still may have been a coolness between the two of them right up until the end. From all of the above, it can be seen that three-year-old Christian was indeed right and there was friction between the two men and it would be a situation that would be difficult to explain as a three-year-old boy. Although Christina Gehrig started the blow-up, to Lou Gehrig the first sign of any trouble was Ruth storming up to him in the clubhouse and screaming in his face. So it would be reasonable for a three-year-old child to describe this as Ruth being mean to him with no way to understand or expand on the complex and subtle tensions between the men. Christian also remembers Lou Gehrig's death. Christian met with the psychologist Jim B. Tucker, head of neurobehavioural psychology at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. Dr. Tucker is extremely well known in the field of reincarnation for his ongoing work of his mentor, Dr. Ian Stevenson, who devoted his life work to recording cases of reincarnation that could be verified. And some of these cases have provided striking information about the possibility of reincarnation. For a better understanding of Dr. Tucker's work, his book, Return to Life, Extraordinary Cases of Children Who Remember Past Lives, can be purchased on Amazon. 
When Dr. Tucker met Christian, he asked him if he remembered how he died. And Christian answered, my body stopped working. Dr. Tucker asked him what happened then and he replied, I became Christian. When Christian was approximately six years old, the family took him to see Lou Gehrig's grave. He said, Mummy, God gave me a new brain now. It's hard for me to remember. At nine, Christian says he can't remember any of the memories now, and this is a common theme in a past life recall in children. Usually at around the age of six or seven, the memories fade and are forgotten. So is Kathy now a convert to the concept of reincarnation? Kathy, who is a practicing Catholic, says she's found herself torn by the concept of reincarnation. She states, I found myself straddling the great divide between logic and intuition. The concept of reincarnation was diametrically opposed to my rational thoughts and to my religious beliefs, yet my heart was telling me not to ignore what Christian was so desperately trying to tell me. Bird also sought help and guidance along the way from Jim Tucker. It was during a meeting with Tucker that Christian delivered the startling news that he chose Bird to be his mother when she was born. Dr. Tucker became extremely interested and said, Where was she when you chose her? Christian replied, Being born, meaning that Kathy was being born. Dr. Tucker then asked Christian, Well, where were you? Christian replied, In the sky. Kathy writes that Christian said, I picked her to be my mum and then she got old. Tucker then stunned Kathy by telling her that many children in the cases he studied recall choosing their parents and have very specific memories around when they chose their parents. Christian, up until the age of five, had told Kathy before that she was Lou Gehrig's mother, which Kathy really didn't pay much attention to. But he looked at the pictures of Gehrig's mother and stated emphatically, Mummy, you were her. Kathy just assumed it was Christian's way of assimilating the two worlds, as she felt that Christian would have found it easier to mesh both women into one person and thereby create a bridge between this life and the last. However, after the visit with Dr Tucker, Kathy started to question Christian's statements and wonder whether she really had been Christina Gehrig in the past life. One week after the visit, she did her first past life regression and went immediately into the life of Lou Gehrig's mother. She remembered Mum Gehrig's life clearly. She felt the weight of her heavier body on her own frame. She could describe details of Yankee games, of watching Lou Gehrig retire from baseball. She says the detail was incredible and she could remember the popping of the camera bulbs hurting her ears as they took photos of Gehrig. Before her regression, she wasn't even aware that old-style camera bulbs exploded when they were used. She could remember and relate information about children she'd born and lost, how they died and when they died. She then set out to verify the accuracy of these accounts and requested the death certificates. When the certificates arrived, her memories were all accurate. When she was asked under hypnosis the purpose why Christina and Lou would be brought back again in this life to relive their lives as mother and son again, her answer was to relive the good times. Now, it could be argued that Kathy had read that information somewhere as she was researching Lou Gehrig, and this is the problem with past life hypnotic regression. She might have been overlaying information she had read about Christina in her studies and imagining it as a past life memory. 
except for one interesting fact she remembered. In a past life regression, Bird describes jewellery Lou Gehrig had given to Christina that she gave away to a family. In her past life regression, she remembered the jewellery and could describe it. Kathy then researched who this family may have been, tracked them down and confirmed that yes, Christina Gehrig had indeed given the family women's jewellery from Japan and a watch that Kathy spoke of during the hypnotic regression. She writes, hearing that the jewellery I described while under hypnosis was actually in the possession of the Stiegler family proved to me once and for all that the information coming through during my past life regressions was anchored in reality. And I myself feel the same as Kathy. Information about the jewellery was something that was extremely unlikely to have ever been written about anywhere, so it would be improbable for her to have come across a fact like that. In addition, when she researched the possibility of who the family might be, they did indeed exist, and they did have the jewellery and memories of Christina Gehrig giving it to them. To me, that is pretty compelling information, as it's not information that would have been readily available and the descriptions of the jewellery can be verified. When asked if she believes in reincarnation now, Kathy says she doesn't really come to that conclusion. She states, I really just provide the evidentiary moments of what occurred in our lives and I leave it up to the reader to interpret. She says, when kids come into life with these past life memories, it's usually for a reason. It's usually because of some unresolved pain or something they didn't finish. She feels Christian was sent to put out the message that life does not stop when you die, that the soul survives this earthly existence and that love can surpass one lifetime. So do I think that Christian and Kathy Haupt's claims are genuine? I think there are some interesting facts about this case. There seems to be a belief among the sceptics that people who relate past life memories or who put their children in the spotlight by discussing their experiences, are only interested in gaining notoriety or making money out of the story by writing a book, or are seeking fame by going on and doing TV interviews. And yes, Kathy Haupt has written a book about her experience called The Boy Who Knew Too Much that could be purchased on Amazon. But Christian Haupt was starting to become famous in his own right before any talk of reincarnation arose. As a three-year-old boy, he had already secured a cameo in a major motion picture with Adam Sandler, purely from his own talent. He was the youngest person ever to throw out a ceremonial first pitch in a major league baseball game. He now pitches on a highly competitive travel baseball team that made the Pony World Series in 2019. Whatever you feel about his reincarnation claims, Christian is definitely a talented player in his own right and there is a strong possibility given his own past achievements that fame and fortune will come to him for his own talents alone. There's a stigma to admitting to a near-death or reincarnation experience, particularly in Western society, and many people will instantly disbelieve you or even insult you for having such beliefs. For this reason, People who have had near-death experiences often do not relate their experiences for fear of ridicule. So would a mother that was already receiving a lot of attention for her son's own talent really consider trading on it by claiming he was a reincarnated 20s baseball player? 
I find it interesting too that Kathy actively sought out help from Jim Tucker, a highly respected neuropsychological behaviourist with extensive experience in dealing with children who claim to have lived before. If you were planning a sting to convince people of your reincarnation claim, would you actively seek out people who have a medical degree and a lot of experience with many cases with a honed ability to decide if you're a fraud or not? Seeking help from someone who could soundly debunk you is not only going to ruin your original plan, but destroy your credibility. So let's talk about the facts that Christian has mentioned and discuss whether they're plausible. I mentioned Christian's information about travelling on trains as being a strong point in his favour and I feel that, not just because he had memories that were factually correct. As we know, train travel has now waned in its interest as being a mode of travel and the most common way to get around quickly is to fly. Would a three-year-old boy really think about travelling on trains as a mode of transport? Wouldn't a modern child pick planes or or even imagine a tour bus as rock stars use if they were trying to imagine what a famous baseballer might use as a way to get around. For that matter, would they even understand travelling like that and staying in hotel room after hotel room as Christian told his mother he'd done? The feud is also compelling because from the information I can find about it for a long time, it wasn't really common knowledge and it doesn't pop up initially in the searches you do. Lou Gehrig is such an icon in baseball, there are hundreds of articles written about his career and his life. The feud only comes up if you specifically search for it. So how did Christian, as a three-year-old child, know about it and mention it to Kathy? It is possible that Kathy herself might have found this information and either deliberately or unconsciously placed the knowledge in Christian's mind. Kathy herself states that she went looking for information about the feud because of Christian's statement, as she found it odd that Christian would have known of this fact of the feud between the two men. She stated there was no reasonable explanation as to how he would know such a thing, and she started to realise then that she might be looking at a case of her son's reincarnation. However, Kathy also says that to hear her son saying the comments he was making, and then to be able to point out a picture of the person he said he had been, was very disturbing to his mother and she found it frightening. When Christian pointed to Lou Gehrig's picture one night at bedtime and told her that that was him, Kathy couldn't handle it and literally turned around and went straight to bed herself as she struggled to process that information. She sounded very genuine when she spoke about it, how it upset her and made her feel uneasy. This is an extremely difficult realisation for Kathy to make as it went against every belief and religious teaching she'd ever received. This brings us to religion. Kathy is a devout and practising Catholic, and the Catholic Church most definitely does not believe in reincarnation. To make these claims, Kathy has had to go against all of her own religious education, and this would certainly be disapproved of and discouraged by the Catholic Church particularly as Kathy has also explored the possibility of her own reincarnation of Christina Gehrig. Kathy's own exploration into the idea that she might be Christina Gehrig, or Mum Gehrig as she was called, sounded implausible to me when I first heard it. What are the chances of mother and son being reincarnated together again? But since delving deeper into reincarnation stories, 
I've discovered, as Dr. Tucker states, that sharing the next life with people you've encountered in a previous life is common and a recurring theme. And if you believe the information from these children, there does appear to be some degree of choice about the life a person plans to lead. As there also appears to be some consideration about the lesson the person wants to learn in the next life. Indeed, some people have even stated that they chose a family to be reborn into, as it would be the one most likely to enable the lesson to be taught. Maybe these children remembering these cases are lying. Maybe they're playing make-believe. But children don't play make-believe like that. They speak in a sing-song voice and talk about unicorns and castles and being princesses. They don't talk about being a ball player or an incense seller in India who was run over by a truck and killed by being crushed under the frame of the truck. I have watched Kathy and Christian Haupt's many interviews many times now. And while there's no denying that Kathy's answers are polished, repetitive and well-practiced, their ultimate state of gold is to put the message out there that our souls do not stop and that love can cross more than one lifetime. Christian is quiet and polite during these interviews and only enters the conversation when he's directly asked a question. He also looks slightly bored by the many interviews. He's certainly not precocious and he definitely is not seeking fame for his claims. Kathy is animated and interested and the interviews tend to ask the same questions so you'll often hear the same comments repeated word for word again and again. That could be perceived as a practiced, polished performance contrived to deceive. From my own experience, however, I also have a life where people ask me the same questions over and over about events that occurred in my life. And like Kathy, I have developed a standard set of answers that I repeat over and over, not because I'm trying to manipulate or deceive anybody, but because they're simply the best way to answer that question and make people see clearly the point you're trying to make. Every question makes you learn the best way to answer it if it's fired at you over and over again. There is no denying that the link to Garrick has probably sold Kathy a lot of books and she definitely does travel the interview trail extensively, but I don't get the feeling that she's being consciously deceptive or manipulative. She appears to truly believe what she's recounting. She makes no claims about reincarnation and simply states that she has provided the facts that she remembers and that people need to make up their own minds about whether this is reincarnation or something else. Christian's only interest appears to be to get on with his own life and to enjoy playing baseball. He doesn't seem to crave attention and in fact his expression often indicates that he dislikes the attention and doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with the spotlight being on him for being reincarnated. He now says he doesn't think about it anymore and he focuses on living his life and playing baseball, although he does play other sports too. Baseball remains his first love. There is no doubt that wherever Christian's talent comes from, his love of baseball will remain and it'll be interesting to see if he does achieve his dream of playing for the Dodgers. Perhaps in time, Christian's own accomplishments will validate and prove his ownership of his memories of his past life by repeating his destiny and becoming a major league baseballer. Like Lou Gehrig, Christian appears to be a very humble and grounded young man and he deserves to achieve his grand dream of walking, perhaps once more, on the hallowed baseball fields of America where legends have walked before him.
If you wish to read more about this case, Kathy Bird's book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, is available for purchase through Amazon.com and is also available as an audiobook through Audible. Dr. Tucker's books on his review of the case he has studied are also available for purchase on Amazon.com. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you join us again next time when we explore more stories of reincarnation and past lives revisited. Until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Thank you.